Hi, and welcome to the Fab Collective Podcast. I'm your host, Fab Channer, and this is a space where we will be keeping it real, fresh, and so fabulous. I'm so glad that you are here, so let's dive in. Hey everyone, and welcome back. So glad you're joining me today. Today's episode is titled uh, November 17th, Part 2. And if you tuned in to the previous episode, we are continuing the discussion. And I'm continuing to share uh, the story of the events leading up to November 17th. And of course, what happens after. I did want to take a second to thank you guys. I have got a lot of messages such uh, beautiful messages from individuals who can identify with some of the things I shared in the first one. Um, If you missed the episode before this, I did get into details over some very personal things that I've experienced in my life because I'm at a point in my life where I'm comfortable with sharing them. I'm no longer ashamed of sharing them. So I do appreciate everyone who has reached out to just offer words of encouragement, support, and even, you know, saying that they have had similar experiences. So it's, it's nice to hear that from others. And honestly, that's part of the reason why I've done it, not for the um, support or the, like the accolades or anything like that. But in my journey, which again, you'll learn more about I have learned from others and others sharing and being open and vulnerable has definitely helped me. So for me, it's just, it's a matter of giving back and and continuing to give the way it's poured into me is the way I want to pour out to others. So thank you guys so much for those messages. So when, where I left off the last time, I spoke about the nurses, overhearing the nurses, I should say, um, basically discussing how they needed to start an IV for me because as they had, I, I remember it so distinctly with everything going on with her, we better start an IV. And that left me, I thought I was frightened. And when I heard that, it's just like it took it to another level. So I was extremely worried, frightened, panicked, to say the least. Um, They did start the IV, and as I have continued to say, I can't stand needles. So that was an adventure in itself, um, them starting the IV. And I remember asking one of the nurses, and, and she was so incredibly kind. Like, she could see the fear, and she's like, you know what? Let's come back and start this because, again, that machine was going on and off, just going crazy because I was just, oh, I wasn't doing too well. And she's like, I'll come back. And then when she did come back to start the IV, she's like, you know what, sweetheart, I promise I will not poke you unless I can find a vein. And I think it took her about seven minutes looking and she wasn't able to start it. They tried the first attempt by another nurse was failed. And I told him, I'm like, people definitely have a hard time start do put like, um, putting needles in me, finding veins and all that good stuff. And the second nurse, she's like, again, that's when she said, 
I won't poke you unless I'm sure. So it, it was just those little things. I did feel better because, again, it's it's about being or feeling heard at least, right? And up until that point, I hadn't had the greatest experience with with a, with a lot of medical professionals where I just felt like I was being ignored or dismissed. Um, so, yeah, that, that I wanted to just mention that because that was a – in all of the chaos, it was nice for her to just kind of look me in the eye and be like, don't worry, like, I got you. So she got the IV in, which was a miracle. Because again, I had the only other IVs I'd had in my life were started in my sleep or as in under anesthetic. So I was like, you deserve an award. And I remember asking her, I'm like, what's wrong with me? Like, I'm like, I heard you guys kind of saying you need to start this IV. I've, you know, I've been to the emergency room two times before. They've never started an IV. What's going on? And then she calmly just looked at me. She's like, you know what, we're just going to wait to do these tests and we're going to wait for the doctor to come in. And I, I couldn't argue with her because that's what was going to happen. So they proceeded with the tests. I had probably, but like I had blood work, which is standard. And there was two other tests, two or three. I honestly don't remember all of them. I remember there was at least two more tests that they did while I was there. And then the long wait, or it felt like a long wait waiting for the doctor. And a million things are rushing through my mind at this point. I am thinking, and I'm not going to even pretend that there was best case scenario. Of course, my mind at that point was all worst case scenario. And I just remember at one point not even being able to speak. I think I said this earlier, not even being able to speak properly because I was shaking. My voice was shaking. I felt like I was trembling on the inside. I was just like, and the more I tried to control the shaking, the worse it got. So then that just added to more frustration. So finally, the doctor comes back. He has his clipboard and he's ready to give me an update or some type of news. So when this man walked in, I'm not going to lie, it felt like everything stopped. I honestly don't even think I blinked. I was just deadlocked staring at him. And again, everything felt like slow motion. I'm like, can he just like, he's just looking through the papers and I'm like, can you just tell me what's going on? So he looks at me and he's having small talk and I'm like, get to the point. And then he says, so what's going on? And I look at him and I'm like, um, aren't you supposed to tell me that? Like, I wasn't trying to be sassy, but I'm like, hello, that's why I'm here. What? So he looks back at his clipboard and he's like, honestly, we've done these tests and everything seems to be normal. Well, I, I didn't know what to say. I was like, okay, then can you explain to me why I feel like I'm dying right now? And we had some dialogue and some conversation at the end of it, he's like, here's what I'm going to recommend. He had given me some, some meds and he's like, I think you should definitely proceed with the tests that you have told me your doctors have requested or ordered. Um, but tonight we don't see any imminent issues or danger. And of course, in my head, I'm like, they have to be missing something because again, the way my body was feeling in that, even in that moment, I'm like, is the healthcare system failing me? Like there was so many thoughts flooding my mind and it was such a weird feeling because of course, do I not like, I don't want anything bad to, I don't want any negative results, 
But I also wanted answers and I needed something. And again, it wasn't just that night. As I had said earlier, I wanted answers for why for the past. So this was November. This would have been a solid year at that point. Why my body increasingly and progressively was getting worse. And when I say by my body, things were, as I said in my, in the earlier episode, things were just going off. And it's not like one thing would go off and then it would calm down. So like stomach issues would start and then they'd calm down. No, they would continue. And then I start with, I was starting to have heart palpitations and then that would continue. And then migraines would continue. So I was just in that moment. I'm like, he couldn't be serious. But then he looked at me like he paused. And after he's like, you know, I, I think you should proceed with those two specialist appointments that have been referred but he's like, I really think you should take a break. And I was like, huh? Because you have to understand, I am a workhorse and especially working, air brackets there, working was my way of not dealing with anything. Throwing myself into work, um, striving for perfection in work, that was my way of managing, you know, feeling like crap. So when he's just like, I really think, and I really recommend that, you know, as you pursue these tests and wait for these tests, you should try and slow down, try and take a break. Um, but you're good to go tonight. And I just remember, like, I could feel the tears, like, fill up. It felt like it was coming up from my belly. And I was just, like, biting down on my cheeks. I'm like, at least let, because it, it was a doctor and the, the kind nurse who had started my V. They were both in the room. And, of course, Kay sitting down. I'm like, don't cry, don't cry. I'm a crier. But in that moment, I'm like, don't cry. You're already feeling like shit. But I could just feel the tears. And the tears were so deeply rooted in embarrassment and shame and anger and fear. Like, I was feeling so many things in that moment because I'm like, again, I just feel like I don't. I still don't have an answer, you know, so part of me was incredibly frustrated that still that story and, and that worry around, are they missing something? Are they missing something? Are they not doing enough? And then the other side is like, I'm so embarrassed. I don't even want to be here. What the hell? Why am I here? They probably think I'm abusing the system. I am mortified. So those were the two big things, fear, shame, fear, shame, fear, shame, just going back and forth. And of course, after he gives me the, those results, that just, again, amped it up that much more. So of course we you know, collect my things. I change the entire car ride home. I cried. I bawled. I couldn't even look at Kay. I just felt embarrassed. And let me, let me clarify. There was nothing Can was doing or saying that was making me feel that way. If anything, Can and everyone were being extremely supportive. But again, in my moment of shame, which was something I was very familiar with, I pushed people away and I just like was like rolled up in a ball in the car and just bawling my face off and just being like, and kept on saying to him, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. I, you know, I didn't want to be there, but I had to, but you know, just wanting someone to believe me. And again, it's not like can was saying, I don't believe you. I don't believe, like he saw, like he would see when I would faint, he would see when I'd have some of these, you know, body attack episodes, we'll call them. But I still felt like I needed to justify that to him. So, so continues the search at that point. You know, I was just waiting, following up with my doctor after I went to the hospital. But 
then I was made sure I was going back to normal, back to work. I know the emergency doctor had told me you should take a break, but I'm like, no, I'm just going to at least do what I know. And that's working hard and, and pretending like everything's fine because at work, I don't have to deal with this and I can just shove it away and, and just pretend that everything's fine. And even to the point where I was even bringing home, like bring my work home with me, which is something I do not like to do. Yeah, there are some seasons that call for it, but this season I didn't need to. I was just making that happen. A couple days later, um, I hosted an event for our team. No one knew any different. A week later, I had a massive grand opening for a, uh, a department that I was running. And again, with the exception of my sister who flew, flew in for it, no one knew that I was having, like, I was even in the hospital, let alone not feeling great. So I was just, you know, keeping up with appearances. But what was also happening is that I was still waiting, still scared, still feeling hopeless, still feeling like, again, those thoughts that were racing through my head. It's like my mind couldn't shut off. It was all I could think about. I realized that I was getting triggered more easily. Like I would see something on TV that was related any commercial around any type of ailment, it started to just, I'm like, well, it could be this. Or I had to like stop watching TV shows that I love because they were too triggering for me because I'm just like, it could be that, it could be this. Like it was, it, I just felt like things were getting more and more out of control. And I was, but I was also in a state of denial in the same sense. So I was getting deeper and deeper into this depression without even realizing it because as this continued, I became more of a recluse. And anyone that knows me knows I love to be, I'm an extrovert, but I also have introverted tendencies in the sense where I love being out with people. I love the social aspect of a lot of things, but I don't like crowds. But again, going out with friends, going for walks, teaching spin, like these were things that energized me and I loved. And I started to really lose that zest, that joie de vivre, like that excitement around it. And a lot of it was based on fear. You know, I would be in, I think I said this earlier, I'm not sure, but I'd be teaching in spin class and in a dead panic. This is something that I absolutely adore doing. Spin was, is still one of the activities, we'll call it, that I adore. Like I pour my entire heart into it. But here I was sitting in front of a spin class a, being afraid that I'd pass out or there an episode would would show up, um, like something that I couldn't control. And B, I was so afraid that I wasn't giving the riders what they paid for. I was so I felt like they could see my issues and that they were not going to get the experience that they paid good money for. So again, there's that fear and shame showing up again. So I just, you know, I scaled back on teaching. I scaled back on going out. I would try and go out, but it was mostly like with clients because I had to but stop going out as much with friends because it was getting more and more exhausting acting like things were okay. Because there'd be times I remember being at my dear friend, um, Patricia's birthday and spending time upstairs. It was bowling. I, there's so many moments I remember where we were there for bowling and I had gone to a hundred of like so many events with P before. And, I had to go upstairs because I remember saying to Kay, I'm like, babe, I feel like I can't breathe. I feel like it's stuffy in here. I can feel like that heart flutter episode coming up again. I'm feeling faintish. And he's like, okay. He's like, you want me to come with you? I'm like, no, I don't want to ruin P's birthday. I will just quietly go upstairs, say I'm on the phone. And I was, I remember just standing outside 
Um, it was like a January um, evening. It was cold. It was damp. And just being outside crying and being alone, not because no one wanted to be there with me, but, but I didn't want anyone to be there. I'm like, I have to deal with this by myself. Suffer in silence. Don't ruin anyone's party. Deal with it. And that was the reality. The other one, like another distinctive time, and that's when I knew that things were definitely like really getting bad. I had to, not had to, I volunteered to teach for a fundraising event where we were teaching spin, different spin instructors and studios were going to teach in the middle of a mall. And again, it was a charity ride. And I had done things like this before, and I'd actually done this one before. So I didn't think twice because I'm like, you know what? you know, exercising creates endorphins. So you know what, this is for charity. Don't worry. You can pull through this. And again, even having this conversation, I was like, why am I even trying to hype myself up to teach spin? I remember getting there and just feeling those butterflies in my chest as I always did and calling my sister immediately. I, I, during this time, I was on the phone with my sister as much as I could, even when she, like, she is a, again, a flight attendant and a nurse, but I would, a second she would land, I would text her, because again, with her being a nurse, I'd be like, am I okay? And just tell her what I'm feeling so that she can kind of explain what's going on. And I remember, you know, waiting to go and teach and literally not being able to find my breath, feeling just so upset because I wanted nothing more than to teach. But my body was like, I felt weak in my body. I felt like my heart, I could not catch a breath. I called Channer and she literally basically like talked me off a ledge. She's like, you're going to be fine. I remember shaking and there was a guy I was, and again, hiding. I hid behind this curtain that they set up and he saw me and I was so mortified. I'm like, he's going to go tell everyone. That's not what happened, but that's what I thought. And just being like mortified for reasons I cannot even explain. I just felt like the world could see the people that I hadn't even taught yet could see they could feel my anxiousness and just terror because again, I was still waiting for tests. So it was the fear of the unknown. It was just being like, am I going to fail? Am I going to fall? And having that moment right before I'm about to go teach, I'm like, what? Like that was one of those moments where I'm like, I can't do this anymore. So I was just going deeper and deeper and deeper into this shame, fear, worry, embarrassment, depression, and not even realizing how deep I was getting. So this was honestly, it felt like a chaotic storm. I, and I had no navigation. I had no, I had no leads on how to get out of it. And that really concerned me because in the past, usually it's like I would, something would happen. Like again, we'll take for instance, asthma, asthma attack would happen. Insert inhaler, asthma attack is over. In the past, a really, you know, upsetting event would happen that would trigger an anxiety attack. I would be like, okay, talk my way through it, breathe my way through it. It was over. This again was going on from December 17th. And now we're full on into what March of 2018. No, this is more way more than that. Like it was, it was, it was forever. It felt like forever because it was forever. It, at this point, we're over like it, I was over a year. So 
after, you know, I just explained about, you know, the spin incident, about uh, P's birthday, there were so many other times where I would be, you know, the few times I would go out, and sometimes it wasn't even me going out. Honestly, the same closet that I'm sitting in recording this episode was the same closet I would come to and cry by myself because I wouldn't want Can to know that I was crying. I didn't want to inconvenience him like that. And again, please understand again, like Can at, ne- at no point was like, oh, this is annoying. I just didn't want to be a burden. I had already made him take me to the hospital three previous times. And I'm like, well, uh, I can't do this to him. So I was doing a lot of hiding and a lot of worrying because I had no answers. And as much as, you know, I had amazing doctors who were helping me investigate, you know, we would get a test back and it came back normal, which was great, but I still was feeling crap in my body and there was no definitive answer. So during one of the, what feels like a hundred doctor's visits, I went to see my new doctor at this point. And she had said to me, she's like, you know what, we are doing investigate. We're investigating X, Y, and Z different systems in the body. And then she had said, she's like, perhaps we should investigate if this is GAD, generalized anxiety disorder. When I first heard it, I was like, what do you mean? Like, what the hell? Like, anxiety would not cause all of this. So then we continue talking. And I'm not going to lie. At first, the ego, again, that that psychological ego in me was like, absolutely not. This is not anxiety. I've had anxiety in the past. This is not it. Keep in mind, as I talked about in the last episode, I was tackling with my therapist some very heavy topics. Topics that all were deeply rooted in past traumas. But again, I'm like, there's no way this is anxiety. Anxiety does not feel like this. And I told her that I was feeling more and more depressed because, again, I felt like my quality of life was crap because I just I felt like I couldn't leave my house um, because I was too embarrassed. And there was things that were just out of my control. My body was just doing whatever it wanted to do. So I'd express that to her. So she very gently had said to me, you know what? As we are, we're investigating X, Y, and Z, let's potentially investigate if this, if anxiety could be a culprit. Maybe it is aggravating this or that. So I chewed on that a little bit. And then I had a follow-up appointment with her. Again, I felt like I had, honestly, like weekly appointments there. Um, oftentimes it was to discuss results or for me to just kind of talk about what was new happening in my body or not like something else was going wrong. So during that set, that conversation, so again, she had, you know, suggested the last time I didn't really digest that well, as, as I'll say, we talked about some more and then I'm like, you know what, we are investigating these other things. So this potentially could be it. So I'm like, what? what would, what does investigating this look like? So at that point, she's like, well, there's a number of different options. You know, you can have the medical intervention, which would be medication or alternative, but she's like, regardless of which one she goes, it has to be your choice. And again, I cannot emphasize enough how important it, it was at that point to have medical professions 
even have that discussion, say that I had a choice because my previous experience was I didn't feel like I had a choice. It's like, take this prescription, goodbye. And, you know, we, in these doctor's visits, I would have full on conversations and then there would be, here are some suggestions, but you need to be the one that makes a decision. And that was so, and still is so important to me. So the other thing I remember when she said this, a light bulb went off. She's like, if we go the medication route for what could potentially be anxiety, she's like, we would be making major changes in the brain. Once she said that, because everything she said after that kind of like blurred, it's like something hit. And I'm like, major changes in the brain. Okay. Once she said that, that immediately, you know, a light bulb went off and it brought me back to a conversation or conversations I had had with my therapist, conversations around habits and dendrites in the brain and, and how they're like little trees. And again, we will talk about these in further episodes and a a pivotal conversation around trauma and the brain. So something about when my doctor's like, we're going to make major changes in the brain. She, after that, we finished the discussion. She wrote down a few options for me. She's like, if we go again, the medic medication route, these are the three I would probably, it would be one of the three that I would put you on. So I know how you are, Christine. She's like, I know how you are. Go home, do your research, talk to your sister. But again, make this decision is fully yours because we would have to make a plan of action. I went home. I had actually booked an appointment with my naturopath, had a conversation with her about it, talked to my sister, talked to my husband. And then I just sat with that. And I'm like, okay, I want to just separate the ego for a second and just really, really sit with this. And I want to make this next point very, very clear. I know I don't have that much time left, but I want to make this next point extremely clear. The choices I made after that were my choice. And the reason I say that, and the reason I emphasize my choice, when it comes to anxiety, depression, mental health, and mental ill health, there's such a stigma around any choice someone makes, whether they make met it, whether they take the medical intervention, alternative, everyone wants to have a discussion about what is right versus what is wrong. And let me be very clear. This is a very personal choice, and that is it. Period, hard stop, end of story. I sat with this. I really sat with this, and I made a decision for myself. And I did choose, I have made the decision, I'm going to approach this in an alternative way. However, if that doesn't really get me the resolve I'm looking for, I am more than open to exploring the medical intervention way. That was for me. Other people make choices to immediately go the medication route. That's fine. Some people don't have a choice and have to go immediately on medication and that's fine as well. I want to be, again, explicitly clear because I just feel like There has been work done when it comes to mental health, but yet we're still, you know, people are still feeling judged over whatever decision they make. 
And I'm tired of it. Whatever decision you make is a decision that you make. People are going to do what works for them. So whatever works for you is what works for you. As long as it's something that you are comfortable with and you feel will cause change, the changes that you're looking for, great. So be it. No more questions. So that's what I did. And again, I am making this very concise because I know we're getting close to the end of the episode. But in that moment, something shifted for me. Yes, there was two. There was a cardiologist appointment I was still waiting for. And there was a lung test I was still waiting for. But I'm like, as I was continuing to chase or find or seek out what was happening, I'm like, this couldn't hurt. So let me make small changes. What were those changes? I can go over them very, very briefly. Again, we are going, I am going to talk about this at length in many episodes. But for me, it was going back to and going through. Going, what I mean by that, going back and going through traumas that I now realize were coming up and getting triggered. The traumas I talked about before the sexual abuse, the physical abuse, the emotional abuse, the bullying, the identity issues, all of this, not realizing that what was happening around me, whether that was in my immediate circles or in society, in media, they were really poking on a lot of the traumas, past traumas that I had not dealt with because they had happened in my childhood. I became, and I chose to become extremely vulnerable and open myself up and have conversations I'd never had before with my therapist, with my family, with my husband. I reconnected with my spirituality and my spiritual practice because that I realized was a big part of it as well. I worked on, and I'm still working on this, letting go of a lot of shame because I was deeply burdened by shame. I took the advice from the doctor and I actually, the emergency room doctor and my doctor, my new doctors, and I took a break. I took an entire month off work, which was unheard of. And actually in the first week, um, M, one of my dear friends and colleagues, she's like, you can't take time off work and be calling and emailing every second. This was something I'd never done before and was foreign to me and I felt bad for doing it. But after that first week, can swept me away to Canmore. He's just like, okay, if you won't listen, we're we're leaving. I changed sceneries in a lot of different ways. I changed when it comes to friends and friendships and relationships. And again, I, I looked at, you know, healing my central nervous system because as I've indicated, like everything was setting it off. Everything. I couldn't teach spin, you know, hot showers were causing me to go into a tailspin. So I, And I realized that I had to be gentle with myself. I had to have patience because this was now over a year and I wanted things to be finished immediately and they weren't. And I was very, very frustrated with that. But I finally was like, you know what? I'm going to take this one day, one moment at a time. Instead of looking at, you know, this needs to be fixed in a week or a month. I'm like one day at a time. And that was really, really tough for me. So that is just a very high level overview of some of the steps that I took. But again, I want to re-emphasize those are the steps that I took for that, that road of the investigations that we took. 
when it comes to mental health and mental ill health. And I can honestly say now that, yes, anxiety was a massive culprit. And I can honestly, looking back, having the test results this day, like I have them now, I believe that my body, what was going on in my body was how anxiety and old traumas were manifesting in my life. And even to say that, I don't even think I've said that to many. To say that is huge for me because it took a lot for me to even identify that anxiety could cause such a stir up in my life. I was like convinced you know looking i looked at family history like i went in determined to find out the cause and thank god the tests that i've had i have one more left but again it's more like a maintenance we'll call it the tests all came back normal and the advice continued to be slow down make some changes and it's pretty interesting not interesting you know it's very eye-opening me looking back you know this move this continued well into 2019 i remember my friend my same friend patricia has an annual gala and i say that last year's gala was my coming out party and she didn't even know it because that was the first time i left my house got dressed up got you know got beautified put makeup on in that period because I was so, I was at home hiding so much. I hadn't done that and I felt comfortable enough. So that was May, 2019. I felt comfortable enough to do that. So P, if you're listening, thanks for that. (laughs) Um, But looking back, am I, 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 I feel things have changed significantly in my life and those same significant changes in my brain, they definitely happened. And again, I took a more alternative approach, but the big game changer for me is that I was open to the medic, like the medical approach. And that was, that was huge for me. And I'm still learning and I'm still like, do things trigger me sometimes? Absolutely. But I now have the tools to manage that and work through them because the only way to get to that other side, my friends, is to go through. And I know that can be incredibly challenging and uncomfortable, but it is worth it on the other side. We have everything we need to get through this. We really, really do. And I know I've probably gone over on time, but again, this is something I speak so passionately about. I didn't want to like, there's so many other details in between. I'm trying to give you guys the main pieces of the meat and potatoes, but honestly, it took great change for me to get through that period. It was an incredibly terrifying period, uh, a period of the unknown, but now that I'm on the other side of it, I understand why that showed up in my life at that time and things are so different. Things like boundaries that I never ever had before, I now have and I just have a better understanding of, I have a better understanding of a lot of different things in my life. So with that, again, we are already at the end of this episode. 
Sorry in advance for going a little bit over half an hour. I know that I promised to keep these episodes to half an hour under in this first season, but this is something so deeply personal for me and something I'm deeply passionate about simply because I know that there are so many others that are probably in the same boat. Um, we are just getting started on this conversation. Again, I gave you guys like the main chunks, we'll call it. There's so many different layers. Um, I will be having my therapist. She's actually in a few episodes from now, she'll be joining us and we're going to be talking about fear. And we actually, she um, named the episode fear, the great paralyzer. Um, and a lot of things she speaks about are a lot of things that helped me through things and helped me through, helped me through that season. I again say that this was by far one of, if not the toughest um, period in my adult life. It was a doozy for me. It felt like a curveball. I'm so glad I didn't give up on myself. Uh, there were points where I almost did. And again, we can, we'll talk about that a lot more. Um, I just want to thank you guys for staying all the way to the end of this episode. Again, I know we've gone over in time. And if there's any questions that you have or anything you want to share, my my ears are open and you can leave those messages in the voice messages section. I would love to hear from you guys. As always, you can stay up to date on any new episodes. We, I release them every Wednesday, um, but you can stay up to date by subscribing wherever you listen to this podcast. And of course, via social media, I'm at the Fab Collective on Instagram and Fab Channer on Twitter. Also, don't forget to like or share this podcast wherever you tune in, please. Thank you guys so much for tuning in to today's episode. I am so happy that you joined us. Again, my heart, again, saying this, I never thought that I'd get to a point where I'd have, have this conversation with anyone, let alone on a podcast, but it's something that I was moved to share. And like I said before, others, wonderful human beings, wise individuals have shared with me and, and poured into me. So I'm just doing what I feel like I'm called to do, and that's to pour into others and to pour out what's been poured into me. So Thank you guys so very much. I will see you on the next episode. Bye.